0: How did you find it?
1: Welcome, and thank you for joining us online this morning. I don't really have any new announcements uh, to go over with you this week. Uh, we'll do our best to continue communicating with you about any changes to our calendar uh, or events that are planned currently. Uh, but there are a couple of things I wanna remind you and encourage you about. Uh, one is that giving can be done online. If you go to discovercommunity.org give, you can do it there. Um, you can mail checks in, but please do not mail cash, because that's kind of unsafe. Uh, But I do want to share with you uh, Psalm 96. Sing a new song to the Lord, the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, bless His name, proclaim His salvation from day to day, declare His glory among the nations, His wondrous works among all peoples. For the Lord is great and is highly praised. He is feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens, splendor and majesty are before Him, strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, you families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord in glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name. Bring an offering and enter His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Let the whole earth tremble before Him. Say among the nations, The Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. He judges the peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them celebrate. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy before the Lord, for He is coming, for He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with His faithfulness.
2: Blessed be your name. In the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow, blessed be your name. And blessed be your name, when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name Blessed be your name when the sun is shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise, and when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I'm gonna say, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your
0: glorious name. Of the Lord blessed be your name blessed be the name of the Lord blessed be your glorious name you give and take away you give and take away my heart will choose
3: what a wonderful name it is nothing compares to this what a wonderful name it- Powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus.
4: Good morning. Um, hopefully, I'll be honest. I watched the video last week and I was like, oh my goodness. I'm going to fall off that stool. So, so this week, no stool. Uh, if you guys have been attending for our church for a while, you know I, I move. I need space. I've got too much energy to be constrained by a chair. Um, so we're back to standing this week. I just, I want to thank you guys um, for your patience with this. This is certainly an interesting situation, but one, I believe and trust that God will do incredible things through I think one of the blessings you're seeing is you're seeing a lot of people refocus on God and realize that this isn't something to be taken for granted, the ability to gather together and worship together, that this is something that should be cherished. Um, So that in and of itself is a a blessing to come out of this. But we're currently in week two of our suspension, uh, suspension of regular church services. We do have a meeting coming up this Wednesday of elders and leadership and we'll be discussing where do we go from here, what's next, given you know the CDC put out an eight-week ban on gatherings of 50 people or more. That's going to be a big part of our meeting, is discussing what does this look like for the church moving forward if this eight-week ban really stays in place. So if you could, before we begin the message, if I could just make one request. On Wednesday, please join us. I've asked the elders and the leadership to fast on Wednesday, specifically praying for wisdom for how to handle this situation. If you could join us in that fast as this church family and please just pray for wisdom. We want to do what is right. We we don't wanna make this decision from our own understanding. We wanna make this decision from a place of deep discernment and trust in God. So please be, be praying for us Wednesday and we do invite you to join us in that fast as well. Um, but this morning, we're going to be looking at something that you've seen pop up a lot in the last couple of weeks. At least, I'm, I'm guessing you've seen pop up a lot, right? It feels like you can't go more than 20 or 30 minutes without somebody sharing or talking about the reminder that God is great and God is in control and God is sovereign overall. And that, that's absolutely true. I love seeing all these reminders. But it struck me, is this something we talk about when times get tough? But when times are good we kind of put it on the back burner right and we don't necessarily focus on just how good and powerful and sovereign and almighty and infinite god is and so this morning i want to look at that um Addie and i we've been talking obviously but you know within the last week or so we were talking the one night about what what is going to happen what is the world going to do what is the American government going to do? What is Ohio going to do? What's Mansfield going to do? What's our church going to do? Right? Just we're, we're just running through all the possible scenarios of, oh, if they do this, what if they do that? We're just looking at the question of what are people going to do? And we both arrived at the conclusion together that we don't know. We don't know how different people are going to respond. We don't know how different countries and different states are going to respond. But there's one thing we absolutely know that we are going to do in this time. And that's praise god entirely praise god for no other reason than he is god and don't get me wrong there is a multitude of reasons but praise god because he is god i'm always reading in the psalms throughout the year wherever else i'm reading in the bible i'm always spending time in the psalms i would encourage you to do the same read one or two a day when you get to the end just start over it's beautiful it's incredible what we find in them But over the last week, I've been in kind of the end of the 90s and the beginning of the 100s. And you see this same phrase and idea pop up just again and again throughout these psalms. Praise the Lord, for He is good. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Praise the Lord, for He is faithful. Praise the Lord, because He is merciful, because He is just, because He is almighty. And you just see this constant reminder to praise God, because He is God that's what i want to do this morning. i want to look at some passages that just directly contrast the glory of god with the nature of people, right? they they put us in the right perspective of this is who we are in direct comparison to the almighty lord. and i think it's a beautiful reminder that we praise and celebrate god because he is god. before we begin, let's pray. lord You are good, you are merciful, you are powerful, you are just, you are kind, you are gentle, you are fierce. You are all these things and more. You are infinitely good. I mean, there is no end to your goodness and for that we celebrate you and we praise you. This morning as we look at some of these passages that remind us just how great you are, that you would be doing a work in our hearts that right now in this time where, you know, it might be tempting to think, okay, where is the church? What, how am I supposed to grow in this if I'm not attending a Sunday morning service? That we're reminded that it's not about us, that it's about you. It's about your glory and about your magnitude. And you can teach us and grow us regardless of circumstance. So that's what we ask this time would be. First and foremost, a time to celebrate who you are. And secondly, a time to grow us and to draw us ever closer to your heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to start in Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6. We'll actually be in the Old Testament for the entirety of this sermon. We'll be in Isaiah, we'll be in Job, um, we'll be in Psalms. I'll be reading from 2 Chronicles and Second Kings. You don't necessarily have to worry about turning there. Uh, but we'll be starting in Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, 1-7. through 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. I want to start off with the very opening phrase, in the year that King Uzziah died. And this is interesting to me, because a lot of times in the Old Testament, that's not how they necessarily referred to calendar year, right? They would frequently use a sovereign's name or somebody who was in charge, somebody notable. But a lot of times, especially like if you read through Ezekiel and some of the other Old Testament prophets, they'll refer to it as in the 12th month, in the seventh year, in the third day, They just kind of refer to the calendar without really bringing in any one person. So why does Isaiah bring in King Uzziah? I I talked about we're comparing and contrasting the glory of God to us as people to remind us that we praise God because He is God and because He is so infinitely holy and perfectly holy. So why does Isaiah bring up King Uzziah specifically? What do we know about King Uzziah? For this, let's turn back to, I'll be reading in 2 Chronicles 26, in Second Kings 15. So in Second Chronicles 26, we see this. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it in to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. That's a good, that's a decent reign, right? 52 years, that's, that's a good amount of time. So we've got a 16-year-old who reigns for 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So it starts off well, right? King Uzziah, and a couple months ago, if you were at church, I actually referenced this verse, and I referenced that King Uzziah was beloved by the people, and we see why here, right? He sought himself to seek God, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And then in the next, I'm going to kind of quickly skim through verses um, 6 through 14. He went out and made war against the Philistines, and he broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod. He built cities in these territories and elsewhere. Verse 7, God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians and against the Meunites. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah, and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. So again, we see Uzziah, and he's starting off great. Things are going well. The people are prospering. The kingdom is thriving. It's expanding. Things are going well. And then you have, moreover, verse 9, Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate. He built towers in the wilderness and cut many cisterns, for he had large herds. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war and division according to the numbers and the muster. The whole number... Of the men of valor was great. Under their command was an army of 300,000. So you see growth, you see prosper, you see thriving times for the people. They love Uzziah. He's seeking the Lord. Things are going well. And then we go down to the very end of verse 15. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. So he was marvelously helped. God helped Uzziah because Uzziah was seeking the Lord until he was strong. His fame spread. The nation's doing great. The people are loving this. This is a good time for the people. But then we get to verse 16. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him, with eighty priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. So Uzziah disobeyed God. This was a task that God had made very clear as for the priests. And the king, in his pride and his might, He forgot that it was about God, and so he goes, and he does this, and he disobeys, and the priests try and hold him accountable. And we see this in verse 19, Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out, because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and being a leper lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. Right? And then it goes on to detail how Uzziah dies. So we see Uzziah, in his might, get too cocky in himself. He takes his focus off the Lord, and he focuses on himself. We also see this about his reign. This is in 2 Kings 15, 1-7. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, began to reign. That says Azariah, that's the same name as Uzziah. And that's why we started with 2 Chronicles, so you see the details line up. Sometime, according to the language, these, these guys, these people had names that were the same name, just translated a little bit differently. So we're still talking about Uzziah, right? He was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. Same guy. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. Same guy. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. So we've got the same start to the story, right? They're they're using the same details here in 2 Kings. But now listen In 2 Chronicles, we looked at what happened within Uzziah with his reign, how he grew haughty and he grew proud and disobeyed God. Now look at what that kind of manifested itself as in his kingdom, in his people. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. And the Lord touched the king so that he was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house. So what do we see in Uzziah? He was proud. He was proud of his might and his power. He forgot who God was. He ceased to seek after God. He became obsessed with himself and did what he wanted to do. He was insensitive to sin, right? When the priest tried to convict him and and hold him accountable to his sin, he responded in anger and indignation. So he was insensitive to sin, and he was disobedient. And moreover, as we saw in that passage in 2 Kings, He allowed the people to continue in sin as well. He did nothing to tear down the altars to these idols. He allowed the people to continue to worship other gods and to disobey God, which just goes back to his insensitivity to sin. And so the people continued to worship these other gods. The people weren't focused on the Lord either. And so when Uzziah died, they looked at this prosperous time that the country had been under, and they mourned greatly. Right? The people responded to the death of a man with this, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? How is this possibly going to go well for us? Uzziah was everything to us. And so Isaiah had to draw their attention back to God. That's why he mentions Uzziah, because he wants the people to remember what happened. And he wants to contrast, look, this is Uzziah who you put on a pedestal but who was insensitive to sin, who allowed you all to continue in sin, who disobeyed himself. Now let's talk about God. And while we're still on King Uzziah, I want to ask one question. Do we resemble King Uzziah? I'm not talking about, don't don't read into this, okay? I'm not talking about certain political landscapes or elections or anything like that. I'm talking about you and I, right? We as people. Do we resemble Uzziah? Have things gone so well for us in our lives? And be honest, I know we all have different struggles and trials, but really, we live in a country where we're in a good place, right? We have what we want at our fingertips. We have options. We have an abundance. Things are going well for our country, just like they were for the people of Israel. Have we forgotten God? Have we gotten, and again, I'm not talking about this specific virus quarantine because I actually think that within this quarantine, we've seen more people remember God. So I'm not talking about this virus. I'm talking about three months ago, six months ago, two years ago, three years ago. I'm talking about the last 10, 15 years. Have we gotten to a place of comfort in the prosperity around us to where we've started to get cocky and we've started to think it's about us. We've done this. We've earned this. We deserve this. Have we gotten insensitive to sin, right? We saw Uzziah's insensitivity to sin, both of the people and of himself. Does that describe the American church? Is the American church insensitive to the sin within ourselves and insensitive to the sin within the church around us? In past weeks, I've talked about the sins of slander, of gossip, of dissension and disunity, right? Have we gotten insensitive to ego, to pride, to envy, to bitterness, to anger? I really, I, I can't help but see a lot of tragic similarities between the body of Christ in America and Uzziah. I see insensitivity to sin, I see disobedience, and when confronted with it, I see arrogance and anger, and it breaks my heart, and I see this in my own life. I'm not, I'm not perfect, I'm never going to claim to be, but I want to be someone who's pursuing God, and so when I read a story like King Uzziah's, I can't help but ask the question, Lord, is this in my own life? And if it is, destroy it. I mean, just crucify it. Put it to death within me. Let me be someone who seeks you and who draws my strength and comfort from you. Because then we go back to the people of Israel when Isaiah is writing. And they're all freaking out over Uzziah. And Isaiah says, you guys are focused on yourselves. Oh my goodness, who, who cares? Let's look at who God is right now, right? And then we move on to the seraphim. As we read through Isaiah's account, we see the seraphim. And it's incredible what we see from them. See, the word seraphim comes from a word to burn. And most biblical scholars agree it refers to these angelic beings who burned with a zeal for the Lord. They just burned to worship God. They won't even look at God. So we have these angelic beings who, whose very name comes from the idea of burning with passion for the Lord. And what do we see about them? They had six wings. With two, he covered his face. So we see these angelic beings consumed with a desire to worship God, and they won't even look at God. They've covered their face in humility because they know how great God is compared to them. And what do they say? They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. That holy, 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 that thrice-repeated word, that was a linguistic feature of this time. When you repeated something three times, you were saying, this is perfect. This is the completeness. So when they describe God as holy, 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 they are telling Isaiah God is perfect holiness. God is the completeness of holiness. Everything we think we know and understand about holiness is perfected by and completed in God. God is holy. That's why we don't even dare look at Him. And how does Isaiah respond to this? Right. I said we'd be looking at the comparison and contrast between people and God, between who we are and how holy God is. Because I think this is something... I think this is something a lot of churches and a lot of people are starting to treat very trivially and casually. We're treating the holiness of God like it's something that can be summoned or or viewed lightly. Isaiah is confronted with the holiness of God and how does he respond He says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me. When he sees God's holiness, he can't help but realize how unholy he is in comparison to the perfect Almighty Father, and it drives him to say, Woe is me. Job in Job 42, 5 through 6, said, I, he's talking to God. He said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Peter in Luke 5.8 says to Jesus, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. John in Revelation 1:17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand. He laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. When people saw the purity of God's holiness, they were driven to their knees in repentance and worship. We can never take God's holiness for granted. We can never take God's holiness as a trivial matter to be casually discussed or referenced. God's holiness should drive us to our knees as we realize, Lord, I am so unworthy. Compared to you, I am dead, I am dust, I am ashes. Job said, I despise myself. Peter said, depart from me because I am a sinful man, O Lord. John fell as if dead. That's how holy God is. That's how perfect and almighty and sovereign God is. And not just in times of panic like a quarantine. Always. In the year that King Uzziah died, God's temple or the temple was filled with God's train of His robe. The foundation shook at His voice. In the year of the quarantine, God's train of His robe filled the temple, and the temple shook at His voice. In the year of wealth, in the year of prosperity, in the year of the best stock market the world has ever seen, God's train of His robe fills the temple, and the temple shakes at His voice. That's how holy God is that's what I want to be engraved on our hearts and on our minds, that we always remember and know how holy God is. But I don't want to leave with, I despise myself and I repent. I mean, I want us to repent. I want us to respond like this to God's holiness. But I don't want you coming away despondent. Because what is promised to us? What was given to Isaiah, verse 7? And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. When Christ died, He atoned for our sin. God has taken away our guilt. God has torn the curtain of the the temple so that we can enter into His presence. So I, I looked at these passages with you all so that we would be reminded of how holy God is, but then I want to make sure we focus on that because that should equally drive us to our knees in gratitude. Just overwhelming, overflowing abundance of gratitude that we are counted right, that our sin has been atoned for, that our guilt has been taken away so that we can have fellowship with a God this holy. That's incredible. That should blow your minds every moment of your life. That God is this holy and He desires a relationship with you and He makes one available to us. What joy should fill our hearts when we read through the Psalms. As I read through the Psalms, I see, Praise the Lord for He is good this is what I think of when I think of praise the Lord for he is good I think of a God who is so holy that the seraphim don't even look at him a God who is so holy that the temple shakes at the sound of his voice and a God who is so holy and loving that he sent Christ to die for me so that my sins can be atoned for so that I can have a relationship with him that is why we always praise the Lord regardless of circumstance because he is holy and he is good Where else do we see this? These are Matt. Matt Wentz and I were texting, planning out the service and such. And uh, I told him I was going to be speaking from chapters in the Bible that I describe as uh, I simultaneously love reading them and I dread reading them because they always remind me of how great God is and I love that. And they always remind me of how arrogant I am in the presence of God and I hate that so I love these chapters but these chapters always convict me to surrender more to who God is and to recognize who God is we're gonna be in Job we're gonna be in Job 31 and then 38 through 42 a couple different passages and if you're not familiar with the story of Job Job had everything going for him. Job was a man of righteousness That's not disputed. I'm I'm not standing here saying Job wasn't righteous before God. The devil goes to God and he says, see, Job praises you only because he has everything going for him. If you took that away, if you took away his health, his kids, his prosperity, he would curse you. And God says, no, not Job. And he gave the devil permission to attack Job. And and Satan took everything away from Job. He killed his children. He killed his livestock. He took away all his wealth, his homes. He took away his health. Right? It says Job at one point got so broken down that he was just sitting in the ashes and rubble, scraping himself with broken pottery to try and get relief from the pain of the sores on his body. So that's what has been going on. And then Job's friends come with him. And they start off giving him some decent advice, and then they just spiral out of control with their immature advice. And Job kind of goes back and forth with them. And then we get to Job's concluding thought. And that's where we're going to be in Job 31. Because here's the mistake that we see Job make. He knew he was righteous. He knew that he was acting rightly before the Lord. And that he had not sinned. His friends were suggesting, no, there's got to be some hidden sin in your life that is so grievous that you have earned this affliction. Right? His friends were telling him, you had to have messed up in such a serious way that you deserve what's going on. And I'm going to be blunt here. We're seeing a lot of that today. We're seeing people say, oh, well, we've done something to deserve this quarantine, this virus. This has to be right. We're trying to ration through this or rationalize through this, not ration through. it. We're trying to rationalize through this and say, "Okay, let's figure out what we've done and haven't yet apologized for. And then this situation will be cleared up. And so Job, his friends are suggesting this. Job knew he hadn't done that. So he questions why God would possibly allow this to happen. And that's where we see Job make his mistake. Listen to Job 31, 3 through 6. Is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity? See, Job is comparing himself to the unrighteous, and he's saying, look, bad things are for people who do bad things. Calamity is for the unrighteous. Disaster is for the workers of iniquity. Does not he, he being God, he says, Does God not see my ways and number all my steps? If I have walked with falsehood and my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed in a just balance. in a just balance. He's saying, look, if I've done wrong things, then yeah, let me have bad stuff happen to me. And he says, let God know my integrity. And then throughout the rest of uh, 31, he goes on to give some specific, he kind of expands on that, on this example of, look, if I've done something wrong, then let me be punished for it, but let God know my integrity. And then in thirty-one thirty-five, Job says, oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. That, that's get, that gets dangerous. Job says, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my signature. I sign my name on this. I know I've done right. So therefore, I don't deserve to have this happen to me. Let the Almighty answer me. Job wants answers from God. That's a scary place to find ourselves in where we dare to allow ourselves to think, God owes me answers. I deserve answers as to why this is going on. And I can't help but wonder, are we finding ourselves in a position like Job right now? Do we find ourselves in tough times saying, God, I need an answer on this. Why is this happening? I haven't acted unrighteously. I haven't acted unjustly. Why is this being allowed to happen? Here's my signature. I stand by this. I want an answer, Lord. And how does God reply to Job? This is, I love, I love these chapters. We won't read all of them, but I want to read some select passages from Job 38 and 39 and 40. Job 38, 1 through 7. Then the Lord answered Job out of the world and then said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? dress for action like a man other translations say prepare yourself for battle dress for action like a man i will question you and you make it known to me see job's trying to question god and says no 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 no. i will question you and you answer me where were you when i laid the foundation of the earth job was saying god where are you where are you in this situation have we found ourselves saying god where are you in this situation god doesn't answer job's question God asks, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstones when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? Verse 12, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Verse 16 Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Verse 19 Where is the way to the dwelling of light and where is the place of darkness, that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its homes? You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of snow or have you seen the storehouses of hail? Verse 25 Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain? I can't even imagine what Job is feeling at this point. As God is just questioning him, Okay, Job, you want answers? Then answer me this. Where were you when the foundations of the earth were laid? Where were you when the rain was told where to fall? Where were you when the snow was stored up? Where were you when the light was given a home and darkness was given a place? Verse 39, Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Can you number the months that they fulfill? Verse 5 and 39, Who has let the wild donkey go free, who has loosed the bonds of the swift donkey? Verse 13, "The The wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but are they the pinions and plumage of love? He goes on and he starts in verse 39, he goes through creation, and he goes through these incredible majestic creatures, and he asks Job, Are you in charge of them? Have you given them life? Have you created them? Have you formed them? Have you created their behavior? Have you given them a place to be? Chapter 40, verses 1 through 10. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. Job Job's starting to get it. Job is starting to realize God is not there for us to question Him. And I don't mean question Him as... Right? When, when tragedy happens, when parents lose a child, when you lose a loved one, there's that pain, there's that emotional pain of, God, how? But Job was questioning God with the, I deserve answers. Because this is what I believe about myself. I deserve answers. That's how Job was questioning God. That's what we're talking about. And Job's starting to get it. The Lord challenges Job, verse 6. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? I mean, it doesn't get any more blunt than that. God says to Job, okay, will you put me in the wrong so that you can be right in your own mind? Will you condemn me because you don't think you deserve what's happening to you? Verse 9, have you an arm like God and can you thunder with a voice like His? And listen to what he challenges Job. He says, adorn yourself with majesty and dignity, clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Job knows he can't do that. I can't do that. You can't do that. Who among us could adorn ourselves with majesty and dignity? Who among ourselves could clothe ourselves with, with glory and splendor? That's the Lord. That's what God says to Job in this time. He reminds him, this is who you are. This is who I am. Will you condemn me so that you can be right, Job? Because I am the definition of holiness. I am adorned with majesty and dignity. I am clothed with glory and splendor. And he goes on in 41 to give more questions for Job and more examples of just how great he is as Lord. And then Job finishes with this. In verse 42, which we already looked at, but I want to reread. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job finally got the proper understanding of just how magnificent God is. I don't want us to have to be brought to a place like Job. I want us to be a people who know how magnificent and holy, 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 holy the Lord is. That's what I wanted to study this morning. I wanted us to look at the glory of God. I wanted us to look at these chapters so that if if someone came to you and asked, Hey, point me in the direction of somewhere where I could really see just how infinitely grand and majestic and sovereign the Lord is. We would have these chapters engraved on our hearts. I want to quickly finish up. I'm just going to read through some passages in in Psalm. James started us off this morning with Psalm 96. I want to look at some of the other surrounding Psalms. Psalm 92, 1-4. through It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. If nothing else, if you're sick right now and you've had loved ones who are sick, and I'm not making light of that, that's a very scary situation. But if nothing else, at the works of God's hands we sing for joy. Look out the window if you want a reason to sing for joy. Look at the trees in the sky. Look in the mirror. Look at yourself. We are made in the image of God. God, we are the work of His hands. For that reason we sing for joy. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. Psalm 95, 1-6, through six. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth. The height of His mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Psalm 99, verse 1. The Lord reigns, let the people tremble. He sits enthroned above the cherubim, let the earth quake, do we tremble at the glory of the Lord. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth, serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God, it is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. You don't need health, you don't need prosperity, you need no other reason to praise God than that he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever, his faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 102, 25 to 27. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hand. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. This is why we praise the Lord. Because we're not focused on our circumstances. We praise God because He is God. So this morning I wanted us to come away with hopefully a deeper realization of just how infinite God is. And I want that realization to drive us to our knees before Him as we praise Him and celebrate Him for who He is. There are are a million reasons why we could praise God. You really only need one. We praise God because He always has been, always is, and always will be God. I want to challenge you guys this week. We didn't do a challenge last last week. I'm, I'm giving you a challenge this week. Read Job 38 through 42. Read those last chapters of Job. Really read through and look at the details. Look at everything that God lists out. As He says to Job, Were you there when I did this? Are you there when I do this? Do you know how this happens? Let those chapters remind you of how majestic the Lord is. 38 through 42 book of Job. Let's do it together. Let's be a church that remembers always God's infinite glory. Please join me in prayer. God, we thank you because you are you. We thank you because you are good. We look at the works of your hands and we celebrate them and we praise you for them. It's incredible that we get to live in this world. It's incredible that every morning when we wake up, that's a new mercy right then and there. And then when we look in the mirror, we see the work of your hands looking back at us. And for that, we praise you. Because we weren't there when the foundations of the earth were laid, because we don't know where the storehouses of snow are, we praise you. And we praise you for sending Christ for us. We're so unworthy of what you've done for us. And you've done it out of love. You've atoned for our sin. You have cleansed us of our guilt so that we can enter into right relationship with You. And for that, we praise You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys have a good week.